thank you for tuning in to the Attack and Release Show. My name is Matt, and on today's episode, we are joined by the lovely Dylan Seals. Uh, Dylan is probably the most interesting personality that I follow on Instagram, and I'm pretty sure that Sam follows as well. Yes. Uh, he's got a studio that looks like uh, it's from Space Odyssey. You're missing the monolith <laughs> in front of you. You should probably change the color of one of your panels in front. And uh, yeah, if you don't follow along with what Dylan is doing, at least from the outside in, it seems like a very healthy, balanced existence that you have. Uh, I told you in uh, like pre-production that I am mentally, uh, formally nominating you as uh, the king of the pivot. And uh, most businesses, as I said in pre will rise and fall by their ability to pivot with the times. And uh, from the looks of it, uh, I would say you are definitely rocking the pivot. And so we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. So as we, we're, we are skipping how we did the 2020 intro, I can't even remember how we, I think we were going to say like teeing up. In 2020, was that it, Sam? I think it was, and then we got excited for 2021, which was not. No, that we hard. said 2020 <laughs> is dead to us, and we're moving on to the 2021 intro, which is we're just going to knock it out of the park. Sam is going to have organs playing. There's going to be some guy offering hot dogs over there, and uh, <laughs> it's going to be good. So, so yeah, Dylan, Sam, you ready to knock this one out of the park? I'm ready. Hey, thank you so much. I'm excited. This is great. Very cool. So, Dylan, why don't uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your journey, um, where you have been, where you're going, and uh, yeah, like I said, the most interesting like personality I've yeah. Just just tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm happy to own that. The most interesting <laughs> personality you follow on Instagram. Right, I want that um, <laughs> well, I guess. I have had a fun ride the last few years. Um, I was, I guess, like I keep getting these time hops from like four years ago. <laughs> and uh, four years ago, I was building this room that I'm sitting in now, which is the studio that you were mentioning in the intro, uh, the white room. <clears throat> and that the idea to build this studio, which at the time I was excited to do mastering in uh, was to get me off the road. <laughs> I had uh, been working for several years for a Christian artist on the road, mixing monitors and then sometimes front of house. And that had been something I did after leaving Nashville, uh, after kind of catching a lull with the industry and as far as the recording industry and then ended up out on a tour bus for longer than I really wanted to be. And I absolutely loved doing that. However, um, I knew with having kids and a family, I just, there, there was a shelf life to that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah, the last few years has been me finding my new niche, I suppose. Um, and I've been very happy to explore several different things that I thought could be like my contribution. So where did, when exactly did you land on mastering when 
like coming out of front of house saying, okay, this is uh, mastering is where I need to be. Um, like, like what made you land on that? Um, it's a great question. The, I think two things. One, I was dying to just simply get back in a room mm-hmm. and listen to music. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife and I had finally sold our house in Nashville and we're going to buy a house where we live now. So we were shopping for a house and I had it in my head that I wanted to put in uh, somewhere in the basement a really great listening room. It kind of that was the genesis of the of that. And then I thought, well, a good two track listening room or a good, you know, a good two channel stereo reproduction system is a great basis for a mastering rig. So then I started thinking, well, the only discipline of audio I haven't yet done, because at this point I've done a lot of work on the road. I'd worked at radio stations as a kid. I had mm. uh, mixed and mastered label records, uh, recorded label records. So I'd done a lot of the, or not mixed and mastered, but I had, sorry, produced and mixed, you know, uh, released records. So I, I had done all these different audio disciplines and I thought, well, shoot, that would be really fun to to dive into something, coming back in fresh from the road. What would that look like? As well as um, I thought that it might be a good business model. Um, so that was my initial thought there, jumping into mastering. Yeah, it's, uh, I, took a, I took a little bit of a, a, a similar road. However, I was, I was never touring front of house, but I was doing front of house for two or three churches and uh, mm-hmm. upon burnout and uh, starting another business um, and then having been affirmed, which uh, that's kind of, <clears throat> that's one of the, as I, I believe Sam and I've said in a past episode, that's mm-hmm. one of the KPIs or key performance indicators that mm-hmm. uh, you are doing what you need to do is yes. uh, affirmation from like peers and family and stuff like that. And uh, just from my more technical background uh, and just how I just tweak until agnosium, uh, <laughs> someone, a handful of people said, you know, you may, may be a good fit for mastering, which kind of led into like a self-taught thing. Is that uh, the same with you? Are you completely self-taught? Were you uh, learning under somebody else or... No, I was self-taught, and I'm, still, I'm looking at my shelf of books. So I have three shelves of recording books that I've collected over the years, and I bought, I can't see the names of them, but they're the, the usual suspects. There's three or four mastering books. I read those over the summer of 2016. Um, I tried to watch as much content as I could find online, re- read as many things, um, and... Yeah, I, I, I no formal education on the on the exact discipline of mastering. No, um, no, uh, what's the word? Mentorship or anything, I, which you know would have behooved me greatly. Obviously, it took me a while to to not just ruin everything that I set out to touch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was like a a brutal fall where. Uh, where I, you know I'm trying to change the mix instead of mastering the mix, hmm. if if that sounds familiar. Like I would try to, yeah. I just it took a long time to look at things as as music coming out of the speakers and not a mix that I would have done differently 
Mm, that is good. Wow. <laughs> Can you talk more about that transition and mindset shift from viewing it as changing the mix and viewing it as mastering? Was there a moment of clarity? Or for me, I've been there and you just put language to it so well. Um, but I remember for me, the switch of that was basically like laying down. It was a heavy ego pride of how I would mm. want to mix something as opposed to honoring the client's vision and letting that art be the art. And I'm just kind of the medium to help get that out to people. So could you talk more on that? Sure. No, absolutely. To be quite honest with the both of you, I, I'm not sure I ever completely got there. Yeah. And I think that's a reason that I've put it down. So I, you know, I, uh, I would get things in again. Um, it might have so much bottom in it. And, and I was trying to relate to that or, um, or I might feel like the high end is, is, is a bit, um, biting or distracting. And there's things that I would try to do to push it in a different direction. But then again, I never really, I feel like the entire time I was mastering, I was catching up or was keeping pace or on a good day, delivering a great product. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it never felt like this is my contribution. Like it never felt like I have a unique voice here and this is this is something unique to me. I have a unique spin or take on this certain art form. It was I I I'm to this day uh, still curious as to what what more I could do or what less I could do to uh, master a song. Um, so that's being real honest about it. That's great. So do you think um, because, and if I'm misinterpreting what you're saying, correct me, because you never got to that spot, is that where kind of the pivot, which we'll talk about of what you're doing now and kind of pursuing, do you think that's what led you to this new path you're, you're taking? Well, yeah. So um, I've just found things now that, again, on this sort of four-year journey of leaving Smitty on the road, um, I've now found things that I wholly believe are my unique voice, my That's unique awesome. contribution. Um, and and once I've hit on a couple of these things over the last year, uh, mastering just it held no real... It didn't capture my imagination or my attention anymore. Yeah. Um, and, and, I, and I was, you know... I could feel myself pulling away from being excited about it or reading about it or, or you know, working on things until one in the morning, mm -hmm. trying, to, trying to, you know, I, that, that passion went elsewhere. I mean, I think that's like such a, an, obviously an honest answer. No, and yeah. to have that, um, to have the self-awareness to see that's something you were probably even making decent money on or good money on to let that go because you knew at your core that there was something different 
you wanted to be doing or contributing. I like that word contributing that you're using. Um, Cause I can relate to that because when I started, I was in a band and I wanted to do the rock star thing because I thought that was cool and sexy. And so um, it is, it is. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and uh, I had just gotten married and that cut a record and had some momentum and then realized that wasn't going to work. Um, as much as I wanted it to, I don't think I was cut out for the road or shows and um, mm. I wasn't willing to put in the sacrifice. At least I viewed it as a sacrifice. Maybe artists who really love it view it as more of like a, enjoying the process, but I hated the process of being in a band. Mm. Um, hates might maybe a strong word, but I, I strongly disliked it and I couldn't see myself doing that for five years, 10 years or a career um, mentality. And so I surrendered that um, a couple years into it and went in a roundabout way to being in the post-production that led to mastering. And when I started in mastering, I was disappointed because it wasn't very sexy. Mm. <laughs> and it feels very misunderstood. It feels very... Um, it's kind of hard to relate to other people in the industry because they view mastering as uh, like a mystical dark art or magic or fairy dust or magic. And um, the other right. parts of music, I feel like we view it as like very tangible. Like here's a drum kit, we record it, and here's a Neve 1073 that we use on a kick drum with a D112 and that 99% of the time always works. <laughs> We're like in mastering... <laughs> mm -hmm. And I don't know. I mean, I think I think all of music is very variable and contextually based, but mastering is um, like Matt and I have talked about. It's you're paying me for my interpretation of your vision, essentially, and also paying me to say the record's done or not, and yes. honoring your integrity of the of the mix and making sure it is enhanced and tamed so it translates. But um, it took me a good few years to accept that mastering was my thing. Um, and it came from, like Matt said earlier, like affirmation. People kept saying, you're great at mastering, you're great at mastering. Mm -hmm. People started asking me to master more and more, and it just naturally was that good fit. But I remember having a grief about being like, ah, I don't think I'm going to be a rock star on stage, but I can be a rock star alone in a mastering room, nerding out over frequencies and phase and low end and harmonics and all these other things that I actually wow. really enjoyed. But I, um, but it, it started to be something when I first started, I didn't really like telling people, yeah, I'm a mastering engineer because it was just such a, um, I don't know, it's not sexy. That's the best word for most <laughs> people. They're like, oh, you're like a, a wizard or something. Or I like, think it's pretty freaking sexy. I think it is too now. But it was this journey of, for me too, like 10 years into this, Yeah, it took me multiple years to accept that this is the thing that I really love. And I do wake up every day stoked still. And like mm. it, every record is a blast to work, off, work on. And um, I just, I can relate, I feel like, to that, that movement and... Um, <clears throat> So it's just yeah. it's interesting. So yeah, I'm just I'm marinating on everything you said. Like the the self awareness to 
to choose and be paying attention to yourself on what you're doing, where you're at, and to maybe even see like, you know, we go through different seasons in life and mastering led you to this this contribution that you seem to be really pumped about, which I'd like to, you know, have the, have our audience hear about what you're doing now and and those things. But um, yeah, yeah. Well, if you want to talk about that, I would love to talk about it. Okay. I I tell you, so it's like the thing Steve Jobs said in that commencement speech. Yeah, you know, you you connect the dots looking backwards. Mm. And when mm. I when I you ask, you know, why I set out to do mastering or whatever. I think the real reason um, now is be- because I needed to learn the discipline. Yeah. Because now that I have a bit of that instilled in me, um, whether I'm mixing a worship tune or working on post-production audio, I now have a mastery of equalization of the stereo image that I never had yeah. prior to this experience of uh, learning mastering. Um, so it's just been fascinating. I'll also say just how to subtly compress something, how to not run something through a compressor to where, you know, I can even hear it on the other end. Like that's, it's ruined me because now I hear everything, <laughs> which I'm sure you, you and Matthew, yeah. you guys relate to. Oh, yeah. um, you hear everything, good and bad. Um, but the ability to stretch the the like Photoshop layers of a mix now this is the way I conceptualize it. Like if you get in a, a pad or a keyboard or a vocal um, a choir or something like you know some really lush, full of harmonics um, piece of stereo information. You know now within a mix, this is just one Photoshop layer, and I can actually stretch it out without, you know, or I can use mid-side, I can do all these things that really help sell the mix um, that I, I would have just before either thrown some EQ on it or some really low-grade spatial widener. And and uh, so I love the fact that I went through this via of of learning, learning my room, learning uh, really great reproduced two-track audio. So, so what... Uh... What a lot of people probably see also, uh, Dylan, is that you went through this whole journey uh, pretty much 100% in the box, mm. which is not a route that a lot of people take. You have a very modern style to uh, your room, and you keep everything pretty darn clean and tidy. <laughs> um, what uh, What really led you on the the path of keeping everything uh all digital what like what else yeah. did you like did you run into anything that you're like man if i only had like this piece i could probably get there like you know the stuff that i do that's why <laughs> what you just said because after 16 years i was tired of saying i need something else i was i was so tired of i remember being in nashville working on great records. I had a Carl Tatz room in uh, Hillsborough Village. I had all these great things going for me. And I would lose sleep because I didn't have a console. Or I would lose sleep because I wanted to add four more GML pre's or something. Um, 
you know, I think that thing that I went through in 2016, I just wanted to sit in a room and listen to two amazing speakers. And I, I wanted to not have anything resembling the studios that I'd had before, which were dark holes with no windows. I wanted, um, I just wanted to sit in a room with a song. Mm-hmm. I didn't want, there's no guitar hangers in here. Like I, you know, any cliche, any of the tchotchkes and stuff I used to have laying around. Um, no lava lamp. <laughs> right. I was sort of looking for some new thing. Um, and, and <coughs> talk about the room and, and my process is one because there, it's really kind of what it is. So I, I designed the desk and everything just to to really bring me to get as much out of the box as I possibly could because if I can lean on my PMC speakers in my room and the tools in the box, then that puts me quite literally in the hot seat. If I'm not delivering the goods there, um, I'm the problem. I don't need another piece of gear. Uh, it's it's all right here. It's something that I I need to either learn or collaborate with somebody else on. So I, I think it, I was just tired of, of the constant, um, for me personally, I can't speak for anyone else, but I, with the analog thing, just always wanted more. And uh, this, after hearing Chad Blake mixes and think people do incredible work in the box, I was like, well, I'm not even as good as them. So mm-hmm. I can push myself to be better, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's sort of, that's where I landed on the digital workflow. There's a very interesting discipline, at least that would need to happen with me to go all in the box. And I have noticed I can have the exact same piece of gear as a plugin and as an actual physical piece of hardware and I treat the two very differently. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why. It's, for instance, the Dangerous Backs. I'm going to crank the Dangerous Backs uh, software a lot harder than I would the hardware. And I, don't, I have no idea why. Um, and I don't know if there's like a tangibility thing there. And I feel like, at least with me in the box, I can tend to over-process. And... Um, I, I think I'm finally happy <laughs> with uh, with where I am as far as gear is concerned. I don't feel like I need anything else, but I always felt like I'm trying to connect these dots in front of me of like, okay, I need to get to, like, th- this genre of music still gives me issues because there are certain things I can't do with a massive passive. It's just too bloomy in the mids. It's just too, like, uh, I, I, this is sound like a very stupid thing to say, but y'all, y'all will know. Uh, it just sounds very tuby. Mm. Um, yep. And it's like when I think massive passive, I think mids and I think like how good it is at that. Um, and it's like I needed something to do a little bit more of fine work and that's why I uh, got my mass lick. And so it's like, okay, now it's like everything that I have in front of me, I'm, I can tackle 99.9% of everything, and now Sam's trying to talk me into a better maker limiter. So, <laughs> so which I I'm, I'm I'm not holding off about. I'm, I'm I'm asking I'm asking around, Sam. I'm not letting you peer pressure me. <laughs> um, but uh, 
But what you brought up was very interesting, and what y'all were talking about is like, yeah, when is enough enough? And it's like, do you, as a mastering engineer, actually need to come out of the box? So, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if anyone else had anything to, to I, riff I think that. there's an interesting workflow commitment to the analog world that lends itself possibly better to manipulating music versus a mix. Uh, that meaning like, yeah, so if you're in Logic or if you're in WaveLab or whatever um, and you're wholly working in the box and plugins, uh, well, it's real easy to fill every single little box they give you to instantiate plugins in. Mm-hmm. And then it's, it's so easy to get lost in the visual cues and visual misdirection of, of the GUI and mousing around. So I, I think um, <clears throat> there's, there's, there's got to be a great argument made to be made that um, mastering off of like a two-track transfer console style setup is, is just like the, the equivalent of picking up a guitar and playing it. Like you can just move so fast and not have to look at a screen um, manipulating things just as the as your instincts draw you to them, without having to pick up a mouse, without having to look at it, any kind of you know. Because there's, I feel like there's so much visual. I kind of designed my room to give me a dead space to just stare at it when mm-hmm. I'm mixing or whatever, so that I'm not using my visual acuity. Uh, that I can actually allow that part of my brain to either shut down or help bolster the sonic um, picture I'm trying to paint. So all that to say, I think perhaps maybe why I never landed somewhere with mastering that felt right to me could it be that I wasn't giving the that analog uh, tactile connection a, a shot. Um, you know, so, and there's things that I've done in uh, my mixing now, pieces of hardware I've integrated to allow me to get back to that, um, which we can talk about if you want. But, but yeah, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on how how you feel that the the analog workflow, both of you, um, contribute to what you get a, as a result. I actually feel like, uh, as far as an analog workflow goes, I actually, for me at least, feel more at home. Uh, turning knobs, trying to find uh, the most transparent or sometimes not even the most transparent, uh, just the best path with the fewest pieces. And mm-hmm. uh, tr- whether it's, uh, hey, let's get a little bit of clarity here, or there was a great band uh, last August, and they're like a merge between, uh, what is it, like the Black Keys and the Rolling Stones. It's like two bands that I absolutely love. Wow. And so... Uh, it's like how do we how do we marry like these two like sonic inspirations and uh how how do how do we take this home and so that obviously was not a transparent route so just uh yeah i i, I just feel more at home as as far as uh as far as actually visually seeing stuff and it's like my background like as i said it's like it's more of a technical background staring at like like physical hardware, like being like 
a pilot for how, however long I was doing that and just looking at all the gauges and like making your instinctual reactions uh, based on how equipment is reacting within certain parameters and envelopes. And uh, that just resonates with me, I feel like, a little bit better than it does in the digital, um, where I feel like uh, I could be overdoing it just a touch. And I, I don't feel like I'm in as yeah. tune. So, But who knows? It's like you see some people... They like they'll they'll pimp stuff out early and then they'll dwindle down, and then uh, I mean who knows we're all going to be computers be a neural link in the future. So <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah. So I'll uh, I'll pass it off to you, Sam. What do you think about workflow in regards to analog? Well, I mean I started in the box like many, and uh, with all honesty, I mean I made a. A living and quote unquote career all in the box. And that then allowed me to buy, get out of the box. Mm-hmm. So um, I think I had my first out of the box revelation, um, probably at Mixed with the Masters nine years ago, 10, nine years ago. And, uh, finally got to use just about any piece of gear I wanted. And this wasn't even for mastering. It's for right. recording and mixing. But just to kind of hear um, how quickly things came together, and obviously I was hearing the value of a good room and good, you know, good studio setup, good proper isolation, tall ceilings, whatever. Yeah. So... I had a light bulb moment um, that there are there are tools out there that can get you a result um, that gets you to the records. For me, it was records I liked used out of the box mm-hmm. gear to get there um, for the most part. And uh, I think for me, once I started going out of the box using gear, and it didn't even have to be expensive gear, it could have been cheaper gear, um, I just felt like I was able to get the sound in my head out quicker. Um, and then as I started buying, I'll say, more expensive or professional mastering gear, I found the product came together quicker. Mm. Um and it was more of what I wanted it to sound like, especially the massive passive changed my life. Um, and I didn't understand, I didn't understand that phrase of like a piece of gear changing your life, but the massive passive did that for me where um, it creates this sound, this finished sound in the mids and top and the bottom's pretty good. It's a little slow for me, but mm-hmm. um it just instantly, I could boost, I love boosting 560 hertz, which in the box to me is awful, but <laughs> on a massive passive, it's like, to me, the sound of every record I love, just just full density. Right. 250 to 700 is so underappreciated. Yes, agree. In general. And that to me is <laughs> where I just like, yeah, it just fills the speaker. Yeah, and um, that's what that cone wants to do. Yeah, and that's, that for me changed my life 
not to be dramatic, but yeah. it it started getting me closer to where I wanted to go with records, and I felt like my clients were responding better um, to what I was giving them back. And I also felt like a lot of my clients, and it could be because it's a Nashville-based heavily, like 70% of my clients are probably Nashville. So people come to me working all in the box, and they, whether it's right or wrong, have this... Um, this romantic thought that analog will fix, complete, make better, give color, give density, give fullness to their mix. Redeem. Redeem it um, and get it out of the box so it doesn't feel so sterile. I know 100% that it can do that, but you can mix. I mean, I've done it. I've mastered in the box. I've mixed in the box, and it sounds like, quote-unquote, analog, like what people call analog. Right. Um, and I've even had masters I've done in the box and the client would be like, oh, I can hear the tube tech on it. I'm like, that wasn't you. <laughs> so it's like, sure. You can. Yeah. You know, it's fine, but it's, <laughs> but for me, listen to it sing. Yeah. The, yep. the analog workflow, I guess for me is it's a personal choice that, um, that I enjoy, but it's not always the right choice for the content. If I get something from, um, a studio that has heavily used analog gear and and it was slammed into a console, I find taking it out of the box just introduces distortion or kind of breaks up the the image mm-hmm. in a way that um, that isn't respectful to the integrity of the mix. And so I'll just stay in the box and figure out if if the record might just be done right already, and then I figure out the sequencing and flow and make sure the volume, you know. I've never had an album that's just done. There's always adjustments between the songs, make sure they flow together volume-wise and, and feel right. right. But there's definitely albums from a few clients that come in where it's like, they're just paying me to make sure it's done. That's <laughs> and killer. tell them it's good and and make sure it flows and back-to-back feels good. But I don't know. I love, I love analog. Um, but I have no issues with working in the box. I think... I feel like analog helped me get my balance quicker mm-hmm. overall, but I feel like now that I am more experienced 10 years in, when I'm in the box, I can pull up like a fab filter EQ oh, man. and rebalance really quickly with that. And it's, I, I guess I will say, I don't say equally as good, but it's it's solving it's solving a similar problem, maybe slightly differently. Right. Um, so I don't, if someone was like, you only have to work in the box, I would never feel like my hands are tied, honestly. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, same. I think it's yeah. just a, a personal preference. I have no qualms within the box. There's lots of stuff I've mixed in the box and I love it. <laughs> like, yeah, it's great, you know. Um, and there's plugins for mastering. I mean, Matt and I have talked about the podcast, like the Oxford limiter inflator, mm-hmm. those two. I still can't find a piece of gear that... I, I find no. a piece of gear that saturate or explode or bloom or add density, but there's nothing like that. And that sound is on so many hit records, just like the L2 and L1 is now, on so many records. What version of the Oxford limiter? I like the old one. Yeah, he's got the OG model. Looks like it's right out of like Windows 95. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've kept it OG and I run a bridge to run the old one. 
Oh, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> so I even bought the new one. I paid for two because <laughs> I just nice. I try to stay legal with everything, but I don't use the new version. <laughs> Interesting. So, I'll check that out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just I find in the box to be just another tool set, just like out of the box. But my personal enjoyment is I go out of the box usually. Um, but I don't I just I, uh, want people to be happy with, with something you said about that. Oh, totally. I want to so, say, you, yeah. you got me thinking a minute ago about, you said something that the massive passive was the gear, was a piece of gear that changed your life. Yeah. I feel like um, I've I've had the children I'm going to have, and their names are Elliot and Charlotte, and now uh-huh. I've said them on a podcast. So I can play. <laughs> but if I was going to name uh, two more children, it would be PMC and Fab Filter. <laughs> um, <laughs> or get a tattoo. If I was going to get a tattoo, no, I when I Fab Filter suite of of processors to me is like. I guess because I've dedicated or I've allowed only the box to be my thing or whatever. Um, holy smokes. Yeah. Like, hmm. I, I live there. And I've actually, I've integrated um, one more one more plugin that I, that I use now. But, but you drop the needle on anything I'm working on, whether it's post-production or a worship mix or some of the streaming setups that I've uh, integrated for people. 90% of the chain is is all of their stuff. I just love there's something to be said for reorganizing the natural harmonics in the recording mm-hmm. um versus uh kind of applying new synthetic harmonics or or new um and in, in inducing new uh and I guess anytime you compress something or anytime you EQ something you are changing the the structure of something in a, in a, you know, you could argue that that's destructive, but, um, but there's something about that suite of plugins in the box that just gives such a pleasing result and yeah. allows me to work on things of, I can use a setting for a vocal and like a setting I've made and then apply it in post-production to dialogue and I'm blown away at how how versatile it is. Yeah. So those are my that, those are the two things in the last four years that have just influenced everything I've worked on. Let's talk about your PMCs. What <laughs> what blew you or what changed your life? What did you have before? And then when you got PMCs, oh gosh, what about the PMC sound? Do you love? Is it image? Is it depth? Is it everything EQ balance translation? Yes, 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 yes. No, like for, um, yeah, go ahead. So I, when I was in Nashville, I was on this Adams kick. So I had, uh, a, I started with A7s and I had like A2.5s or something. No, S2.5s, I can't remember what they were. And then S3As, depending on where I was working at the time, but it was always Adams. Uh, I liked them. And, but again, I, I, I do. I don't know if I ever really knew what I was hearing, mm-hmm. so to speak. Like it was a it was a hyped sound. Um, when I went to build this room, 
I was in this super minimal headspace, which I'm remaining probably to this day. And I was, again, wanting to get music to the speakers in the most uh, direct form possible. And I went to Vintage King and listened to several different things. I think I, I thought I was going to like a certain set of speakers. And after listening to a dozen pair of speakers, I, I really liked what these PMC-226s were doing. And what really sold me on it, not only was it out of everything I'd listened to that day, just like I remember listening to Beck's Sea Change uh, in there in the mm. demo room, and I had never noticed before the character of his vocal, and I was like, oh, that's got to be a ribbon mic. It just like, bam, I could hear it. Mm-hmm. And I've listened to this record hundreds of times. So um, I was in, but what really sold me with the technology, they're AES. So uh, you can run them analog in, but it's getting converted to AES and running through their proprietary uh, speaker DSP or whatever. Um, But that allowed me to not run a D to A in this room. I immediately was like, oh, I don't even have to like, implement a high-end converter. I go straight from my audio interface, AES, through an AES controller to the speakers, uh, which I was super jazzed about. Because again, it was like integrating, it was the it was even tighter integration into the all-in-the-box thing. And, and the way I saw it was I would get a more accurate picture. Um, and then and initially, um, I... Uh, are you laughing at my dog? Yeah, your dog. Like my dog. That Sammy dog comes out of nowhere. <laughs> this is uh, the the we, we can talk about our our labradoodles and our golden doodles, but um, but anyway, sorry. So uh, the the PMCs once I got them in in like midfield, I absolutely like fell in love with low mids. And mid range, like I'd never, I'd never, like, I, like the awareness that that those frequencies are so important, and and being able to balance them was something mm-hmm. that I had never had before. Um, so, yeah, long winded. Yeah, I uh, I've kind of been going through the realm of do I do I make a switch on speakers, and I've been. I mean, since day one, I've been on an old pair of Proac 115s, and I've just, I've just really enjoyed them. I know they're a mixing pair of speakers, um, but they're pretty darn revealing, and I've, I've really always loved them. Powered them with Bryston, and I just love the sound of Bryston amps. And I don't really think they color anything, but they keep things, uh, I would say, from sounding dead. Yeah, which with with some speakers they can sound lifeless, but then a company will come back and be like, "Well, it's flat. What do you expect?" And so it's like, "Well, yeah, but it's it's like I don't, I don't feel inspired behind this." And it's like that's what you were saying with your PMCs is that you felt inspired, um, and uh, you just like you you had a connection with that. So I've also I think per your recommendation, I've been talking with uh, with uh, Spider. I think he's. Uh, yeah. the, one of the PMC reps. I don't. I don't know what all he does for them. I feel like he does a lot more than he's just than just a rep. Um, he he is. Uh, is he's my, he's the face of PMC America to me, and he's been yeah. truly a great resource for all sorts of uh, stuff here. And then the clients I have now, 
that I'm building streaming systems for. He's been a great resource as well as how to integrate Dante and different things. Um, but uh, yeah, no, he's he's a killer dude. And PMC, this is not a paid ad, but they have taken care of me better than any other pro audio company I've worked with on mm. the road, here, anywhere. I had a amp board go out last year and they overnighted me one. And, it, and it's like I just, it was a text to Ron. It wasn't Ron Spider. It was a, it was like a, a, a te- I just sent a text, you know, hey, what, what a, what RA number, how do I go? You know, I was just like kind of, I just checking in with you. I'm going to go to the website and do this the right way. He was like, no, 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 we're sending you a new board. Just give me wow. your address. And next day it shows up. I send the old one back. That's it. It's, pro, it's the most pro level experience. And I'm not having to go put in something and wish and hope that it gets to where it's going and get an RA number. It just happened. Yeah. That's amazing. I'm so glad that companies like that exist out there. Um, we've mentioned Pivot a few times already in this episode. And I wanted to know, Dylan, if you could tell us more about what you're kind of doing now, aiming to do uh, maybe present day. Well, again, I'm what I'm aiming to do is provide my greatest value to everyone around me. Um, that's That's what I'm here to do. And as long as I'm finding new and interesting ways to add to or contribute to the art forms that I'm interested in, then that's where I need to be. Um, so I, for a while, I was really kicking myself. Um, <clears throat> last fall, I uh, went out to Los Angeles and met some people that I'd only really met online. And I hung out with some old friends as well, but... I was really tentative and reserve about about what what I called what I was doing or how I categorized myself because I have all these diverse interests and projects and that can lend itself in my mind um the this the scared part of me was like oh you're just the jack of all trades guy but uh I've I've since like reconciled that mm-hmm as um really i think what it is is i i just am so interested in applying a technique to various different things like um in the podcast space i have i i feel like i'm doing something that i'm not hearing on a lot of other podcasts it's basically a very musical approach to dialogue not only in the uh, sound quality, but in the editing and the pacing of like the edits and things like that. It's very musical. Hmm. Um, and uh, if anyone wants to hear what I do, uh, Stu Gerard has a uh, podcast called the The Beatitudes Project. Just came out last week, and it's it integrates his music and he and his. Uh, co-host Brian and their uh, people that they interview, but it integrates music with the dialogue so well. Um, and we do all kinds of really creative edits. And But, you know, Stu's a guitar player, and when I think of him, I think of uh, his amplifiers, you know, and I think of, like, his guitar tone. So I wanted his voice to have this almost... 
uh, almost like an electric guitar sound. Or it sounds mm. really weird, but I'm wanting to keep a lot of attack in his voice. I'm wanting to uh, bolster the harmonics. He's he's an Englishman, so he has this really great speaking voice that you know he, he's just got that great classic English voice. And uh, so there's there's techniques that have that I've taken from uh, everything from making music, uh, recording drums, recording guitars, and applying them to what could be considered just everyday basic audio engineering uh, in post and getting like results that I feel like uh, on face value sound good, but then on a subconscious level really suck the listener in and uh, almost like nurture a connection. That's amazing. So, uh, yeah, as long as I'm finding things like that um, interesting to me and getting that affirmation from my clients, like I'm just going to do uh, like two or three things really well and let them all kind of feed into each other. Because if I have a breakthrough on a dialogue edit, um, then that leads to a breakthrough somewhere else on a worship mix. Or like, for instance, I got really heavy into RX audio for post-production and podcasts. And now I use RX audio on mixing records that I never, I never would have considered it before. Um, so yeah, just stuff like that. Yeah. RX, RX, I, I'm, it's kind of my new home. It's, uh, everything on there just sounds so darn good. Everything that does. And then, uh, what is it? I'm I think around seven now. Uh, a lot of the, uh, AI stuff that they've kind of brought into it in terms of isolation and in terms of like finding like little tiny noises through a denoiser and like through a whole track and then being able to edit out something while it's overlap. Say like you have like the load of an air conditioner and like, like a cello is over that. Yeah. Like you're able to edit out that rumble from an air conditioner of a live session yet preserve that cello. Um, totally. AI is, is mind blowing from RX. There's some cool stuff I've learned recently. Um, it's kind of like, you know how you can do mid side or you can manipulate the phase of two different pieces of audio to kind of unlock something that was buried in there. Well, some of these tools, uh, like I, I took a lav mic. Now, my, my standard process, when somebody sends me a video with a lav mic, I'm pulling the dialogue out of the lav mic, and I'm making two tracks. And one track is just the uh, ambience, what's left over when you pull the dialogue out of that. Mm-hmm. And then you can actually take that and spread it into, like, use like one of the better mono to stereo imager things, and you just leave that kind of baseline. Then you take your dialogue, what's left over, which was the, the dialogue that came from that mic, you compress that, you can EQ that, you run it through DS or do all the stuff cool. you're going to do to it. Then you end up so with cool. a beautiful, wet, dry, kind of like front back. So you're not ever compressing that ambient sound, and it's like room tone. And like I had a, I had a video where this guy's like driving in a car, it's all one shot, 25 minutes. He's driving in a car. He gets out of the car. He walks across a 
cemetery and he's speaking the whole time. He gets in another car. They go to a river. This was all in one shot. And I was able to capture and have control over the the sound of him getting in the automobile, starting it, the like ding of the door, the keys and the ignition. And all that's just staying that this really nice like tone in the background. And then the dialogue is just hyper present and focused right in the foreground. And and just Damn. all this, like again, the mastering has like brought me to a place where I knew that I could get away with certain things in the stereo field. And so it's all like it's all stuff that absolutely delights my clients. So if I can do those things at the same time, do worship and all these other things, then and the streaming, it it all kind of feeds in together. So one one thing I'm dying to talk to you guys about. Streaming is such a big thing right now. And I am like really convinced that more mastering engineers need to get involved with helping people set up their streams because I have I had this business of doing live stream uh, work for the last two years, but of course it took off like massive a couple months ago. But but what I've been doing that's helped people so much is I'll get a high quality connection in here on my PMCs and I'll sit at my desk and I'll just relate to them what I'm hearing while they're giving me like a test stream or even while they're mixing a stream live. Um, and I've used again, like midside, tilt EQ, all these things in fab filter, whatever, whatever they have at their disposal on their end to really clean up and not only track per track basis or channel per channel on their mixing desk or DAW, but to really sell the, the two bus or like, what is the streaming codec that they're stuck with, whether it's Facebook or whatever, like how can we optimize with midside and EQ uh, often so many of the streaming codecs are just crushing in the width. And so uh-huh. we've actually gone in now and just like, uh, I can go in and with midside and push it back out a little bit, just try to give it a little more air. Um, so, uh, yeah. I, what do you guys think about that? That so much audio now is being delivered, quote unquote, unmastered. Are you, um, are you primarily just offering a suggestion or are they somehow shooting you some type of a matrix for their live stream that's headed out? And then you kind of do their live stream, I guess, two bus. What, what are you doing on your end? Well, I've done several things. Um, the number one service that I feel like sets me apart from, I think, anybody else that's working right now is uh, the live coaching. So I'm working with people while they're mixing, I'm whispering in their ear or typing something across the screen or and or screen controlling. So I might be driving the mix bus or I might be in the background helping them somewhere while they're mixing and they're getting they're not only getting real time feedback from me on like, hey, when we go into the chorus, you know, this and this is gonna happen and hit the guitar ride. So or uh or I'm just and they're polishing things that they can't hear on their limited play or their limited uh, reproduction systems. As far mm. as you know, I've got a guy that's mixing every week on in ears at front of house because that until we just got their whole budget approved for 
a complete bespoke broadcast suite. But until he's in there, that's what he's stuck with. So he relies on me to be like, yeah, that's plenty of kick drum, but the pad is like way too much. Like, you know, because pad, things like that just disappear in headphones. You don't realize how how loud they are. So um, I've done that. The next thing I've done is I've made uh, custom DAW templates for people to mix with. Um, they send me, you know, we get, I get them set up over the phone enough to record whatever the service is or whatever, um, whatever the band sounds like off their head amps on their console. Then I get those tracks back here. I make a custom DOS setup in Logic or whatever, send it back to them, and it's something that they can record arm that's super low latency and that with a few Avid controls or whatever, they're able to like get a very high quality. Uh, result with vocal tuning built in, drum samples built in, um, all the VCAs, mute groups built, uh, basically custom tailored to exactly what they do. Um, and then I've got control wow. over it from here. I can either screen control it. It's on a shared <laughs> Dropbox folder. I can pull it up and manipulate it on my end. Like it's amazing. This last week, one of my churches in Texas added in their orchestra back because they were allowed to have that many people now in their room. So... Uh, so we're working on that. That's They sent me the project from Sunday. I'm going to go in and, and help them figure out, again, like spatially, like how to add the orchestra into the band, make some changes, send it back. They'll open it back up on Sunday, track arm, everything. should work great. Um, so, and then, then people just send me stuff to mix, plain and simple. And uh, the next frontier, and I've set a goal for myself for the fall, <laughs> is to figure out how to do it real time from here, like mm-hmm. to actually mix something multi-channel from here. Wow! Um, and there's a couple of interesting ways to go about it. One is you send every single channel of audio here, and then send you know a matrix back or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a lot of internet. <laughs> It sounds insane until you look at the alternative, which is to control something from here and yeah. listen to just two channels, which actually so far has been more complicated. Hmm. Um, it actually sounds more appealing to me. Which one? Than uh, just getting two channels and yeah. then doing the, essentially what I'm doing now as opposed to getting, I don't know, if you're getting 56 or hundreds of, like I, I don't know, right. like 120 channels, like... You know, I was thinking 64 channels and 96K would be a good place to land. Um, the the problem I've found with, with controlling something over the net and even listening at high quality two-channel audio off of Listen To or whatever, my reactions are delayed. So uh-huh. even if I get my Avid fader, which I've figured out how to do that, I can get my Avid control here to control one 800 miles away, a DAW. But the problem is that there's so much latency that I'm not hearing my moves. My moves aren't getting to that computer until later, and then I'm not even hearing those moves until much later. So yeah. it's actually more efficient, strangely, to use uh, Dante or over IP or, or one of these audio over IP uh, third layer solutions that I'm, I'm still learning about. I don't know this stuff because it's not really... <laughs> this my, is so next level. It, but, <laughs> it's like over my head. And I'll, 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 I won't spend forever on it, but th- there's a very interesting way that people are doing this. You get... The way you clock the system is 
by sharing a GPS satellite uh, link. <laughs> so you put an antenna outside of either studio or either facility, and you, <laughs> you actually have a one U clock. It's like a like a, a Apogee Big Ben or whatever, and it takes in the Dante audio, multi-channel audio stream. And it also takes in this signal, this time code from one satellite and stripes them together into the internet stream or whatever, the, the audio over IP. And then on the other end, you have an antenna outside that building. It's picking up, again, this same time code from a certain satellite. And it, it decodes that signal that's embedded in the audio and puts it back into time. Huh. It's bizarre. How so quick the, is this? I don't... Well, it's not like... I've never tried it. Uh, what I'm hearing, though, if depending on the connection, um, it's, it's fairly instantaneous. Hmm. Wow. So, so that's... I'm, and if anybody out there listening has any better ideas, contact me. I have some... I, have, I will take care of you. Because <laughs> <laughs> this is my, like... It's my goal um, to be able to do this. But, They're going to come back to you and say, "Why don't you just run some fiber?" <laughs> yeah. Hey, see, and here's the thing: is I, I'm very happy to admit what I don't know. I I do not know. Um, I I'm I'm so happy to be connected with people that know things more about the internet or how to move data. I would love that uh, because right now I'm just talking with a handful handful of people and and googling things to death. But. But that's another service I'd love to be able to offer is just quite literally in this era of streaming, be able to contribute by mixing live here. So that's that's the next thing I want to do. That's incredible. Uh, I, I can't even... like I'm, I'm just trying to put all of this well, together. I got stuck on the mentally. GPS satellite. In front of, <laughs> so I, I have- keep picturing... A satellite and an antenna. Dylan's putting an antenna outside his house. <laughs> uh, I I want to do it right. How how could I not want to do that? Sounds great to me. Uh, it's great. Yeah, that'll work for sure. So, Matthew, we should podcast that way now. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. Um, you guys, you were so kind, Matthew, in the introduction to say that I was great at pivot. Um, and I I will say that there was some pivot, but I I have been doing church consulting. Uh, what I call worship media consulting or helping people with streaming for the last couple of years. And I had sort of this like playbook set up of like, oh, in the future, I want to go to all doll-based studios so that I can maintain them from in here week Mm -hmm. to week. And that was sort of like something like, oh, you know, 2021, I'll roll that out or whatever. And in the meantime, most of the people I was working with are on, not analog desks, but like actual physical digital consoles, like broadcast consoles. So it was fortuitous when this happened in mid-March. I had this whole stack of ideas sitting around ready to go. So I was able to quickly say, well, shoot, people people need me in more places than once right now. People need uh, high-quality streaming results. I know that it's possible with the DAW. I know I can help them from here. Um, I, so I just rolled out everything that had been in my playbook. I just pushed into action. I, I kind of, I was supposed to go to California the third week in March that got canceled. And I came back here to the studio and I just sat for three hours and, and was like, 
what can I do? Like, what can I do to provide solutions? What can I do to keep myself engaged? What can I do to be creative? And uh, I'm just unbelievably thankful for the opportunity to get to do so much of it. Um, so yeah, that's that's <laughs> that's kind of all all things streaming. That is so next level. <laughs> yeah. I you, you you have to keep everybody up to speed on on what you're doing. It is it's like how do you even get to the point to where you're like what like how did how did you get to the point where you're like I that this is even an option to like connect to a church to run their uh their outgoing stuff like almost simultaneously. Um I think marriage to the to the doll you know being very intimate and familiar with being in the box um uh that that helped me um again you know another thing just i've been in and out of ministries my whole life my father was a minister um i worked on staff at a couple of different churches sam and i both talked about the experience of working on staff at a church Mm -hmm. um there's another podcast there but no uh I, I, and I, working with Smitty, I was in and out of churches all the time and, and seeing their pain points with their audio systems. So I just have a heart for it. And again, God speaks, you know, to me, like I, it's just in the quiet of like a car drive or a walk or taking a shower or whatever, these ideas, you just start to put all this stuff together. It's like, oh, I learned that in mastering. I can apply that to this. Or I, Oh yeah, I, I listened to is really cool. I bet I could even record an album here just using listen to in a Zoom call, and I, and we did it. Like for this one church's Easter, I just sat in here and like produced their whole Easter service and recorded it to a shared Dropbox folder without even being there. And it's the it blows my mind. It's like stuff that I normally would have carved out a week of my life and gotten on an airplane. It, it's now just like we just needed this push of like this constraint of 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 needing to come up with new ways to do what we've always done and I, I just love that we're we've been able to push into it and I, I think that that mastering engineers have a great way of providing services like this to help because it, there's so much stuff that's being streamed right now yeah. and there's so many people that maybe even can can make a way to mix it well um, but need that last little bit of like, again, like you were saying, Sam, you know, let's sign off on this. What does this feel like? What's it sound like? So everything I mix, I mix for iOS, whether it's these AirPods that I'm holding up or whatever, or or just the, the way it comes off the phone. I'm very big on that. I've got like a, a Bluetooth transmitter that I, I leave hooked up all the time to my rig that I can I can hear things on these little iOS speakers, but just stuff like that. You know, if you can get something to sound good again in that that three hundred to eight hundred mid range or whatever is so important to these little things. Yeah. Um, oh yes. So, uh, you know, that's that's a that's a big need right now. Huh. So, I heard those uh, those AirPods I've seen make good dog treats. <laughs> <laughs> I have them. Yeah, they are here to remind me. I'm holding them up. You guys can't see this. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Yikes! 
That was pair number three. I'm on pair number four. <laughs> oh man, they're, they're you crazy. actually you actually turned me into a believer on. You know, we are. We have never been in a time where you can have, dare I say it, the perfect monitoring yeah. stuff. And it's what every, just about everybody has. And if you want to hear what something's going to sound like to an incredible amount of the population. Yes, never before. Uh, I think theaters... Movie theaters are the only time this has ever been a thing before because you, when you walk into a movie theater, even the worst ones calibrated to some degree. Yeah. Um, and we actually now have the ability to not only the same headphone, but the same D to A, the same amplifier is mm-hmm. shoved into millions of people's ears. It's incredible. I, I recommend that you do not get the pro version, get the regular old basic. AirPods because that's what most people are listening on, yeah. and you know there's like the I went the route. I went the pro route, oh. <laughs> amateur. <laughs> I didn't yeah, that have must AirPods. be it. I'm still on earbuds. Connected. But the the ability for them to clock to sync the clock left to right blows my mind. It's like absolutely, yes. it's the center sounds so good on these. I don't know how that the two clocks are married so well, but. Kudos to Apple. It's, it, I think they're as far as first run products go, they nailed it. Just nailed it. You have made me a believer. And if I ever get a dog, the yeah. suckers will not come near a dog. Yeah, give them to your dog and get the regular ones. <laughs> <laughs> I'm liking the pros. I need to but try. Like, you, like you said, the pros are probably the amateur way to go as of right now. Well, I just I like to know what, what most people are hearing um, yep. as well as I think the pros do they do they cancel out a lot of sound from the outside. So you you have three settings. You have any oh. processing off. You have a transparent uh, mode, which it takes the microphone that's listening for the noise canceling, and it essentially just allows that ambience through. So like how you and I are talking, it's like you are actually in the room with me, like to a degree. Um, okay, and so it's really natural, and they're pretty comfy, so I can just leave them in. And then uh, the noise canceling is remarkably, remarkably pretty darn solid for uh, for for what you're paying for. And I mean, I I I think I got it. I was I was actually I was going to Nashville. I was going to go uh, see Sam and a few other people in March, right before the whole COVID mm-hmm. thing uh, shut down, and. Uh, I was in the airport and I was like, man, I need to charge my phone and I don't want to stop listening to this. So I literally just walked over to the Apple store in the Atlanta airport and I was yeah. just like, do you want pros? Do you want regulars? And I was like, I'm a pro. I'm a pro. <laughs> <laughs> so I had no idea what they were, never used them. And uh, I have been a diehard fan. So I'll have to pick up a regular pair so my monitoring game can be on point. So, like, yeah, you have three... You have three modes you can switch through. What was that, Sam? I feel like I have to buy a pair now. Dude, they're the NS10. They're it. <laughs> That's they're the it. The NS10. They're the bookshelf speaker. Paper cone and all. Yep. So, so there is something that I want to ask you about, and I don't know if you're still doing it. Mm. A long time ago, <laughs> I saw something that you're going to make a YouTube channel. Mm. You have another passion. So... It's not actually a YouTube channel. Okay. 
people think that it is going to be a YouTube channel. So I, I obviously have not done a, done a good job of representing that. Um, you're talking about the cars? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So again, I, I set out to like, I'm big on this kick of like, what can I do that, what, what can I align myself with the things that are organically interesting to me? What can I contribute to? Uh, I have been organically interested in cars since I was a kid. I've owned tons of cars. I love uh, anything about cars. I like going fast. I like uh, all. Like I, re- I was in Florida this past weekend, and because nobody's flying, I was able to rent like this really stupid car, and it it tickled me to no end to just drive an exotic car around all week. But anyway, it was cheap. I didn't pay much for it. You got but a G wagon, didn't a you? G wagon, yeah. It was just yeah. hilarious. The, by the way, I totally get it now. Those are like <laughs> I totally get why everybody wants one of those. <laughs> I thought it was going to be a joke, but it is the coolest thing ever. But so I watch all this car content. I'm skipping to the story. So I, I watched loads of car content, and again, you know, a few years ago, my ears were just so tuned in doing the mastering thing and all this stuff, and and working in RX on podcasts and other things and, and post-production that I do, that I started hearing this, this audio on all the car content I watch, and I'm like, this is deplorable. Like, it's not even, like, competent. Like, it's so bad. And, and you know, I, I'm, I'm big on taking things past the psychological threshold of distraction. Like, I think people take post-production audio to this level of removing distractions. And that is, like, I agree. That is not where to, you stop. <laughs> like, there's layers beyond that where you want to go. Um, I, I, I think cinema kind of nails audio better than anybody. It's like you, you're in there and, and I, it's like the only place I never think about what I'm hearing. It's just so darn good. So uh, I, I know I bought, I'm, I'm talking through it right now, but I went and bought a Zoom F8N because here I am in... East Tennessee, and I'm just going to go do better than everybody because I just was so fed up with what I was hearing. I'm like, I, I, it has to be, there has to be a way to do this that's not, because, I mean, you're driving like these beautiful cars. I know they sound good. I know what this, the Porsche 911 sounds like in real life. I, it doesn't sound like this, you know, thing like that just coming through a lav mic <laughs> or or they'll tape like a lav mic near the exhaust or it's always, anyway. And here and I have all this history of of recording drums and electric guitars, and I'm like, oh, I bet the intake of an engine. If I if I thought of it like an electric guitar amp, like you know, I, I'm just conceptualizing all this stuff. So, um, lo and behold, I take some Audio Technica mics that I used to use on the road, and I hook it up with this Zoom recorder, and I just start breaking stuff. Like, you know, I start uh, sucking microphones into audio, car intakes, and then having to figure out how to pull them back out and then one one mic got rained on and destroyed and like so but I did crack that nut and I have been so busy with other pursuits that I've so I set out to make this demo and a buddy of mine Jordy Wetzel who's a fantastic videographer collaborated with me on it we we shot three cars one's a Ford Raptor with the good engine the 6.2 mm. here before they got rid of it uh, one's a twin turbo BMW 335i, 
mm-hmm. then one is a 1978 Toyota Land Cruiser. It's like completely stock and has 40 miles on it, 40,000 miles on it. Dang. And so it kind of gave me like all these different flavors of like the, the kind of clunky old four-wheel drive that's just like creaking down the road and has very little engine tone, but just all this character. And it's completely open. There's no doors on it or top. So uh, I did a lot of trickery to just have like this super present dialogue in a completely open car, you know? And then, uh, so then the, the Ford uh, Raptor has this massive V8 rumble. It's fully American sound. I had to like take the headlight out to get the microphone in the right spot to put that to is, get the intake. With that, is the sound the actual engine or is it the exhaust? Because it, there's a mode on the Raptor where you can switch. Oh, the like, new Raptor? I don't know. I, I, I knew this was a few years ago, but you uh-huh. could switch like from loud to just like normal, like driving through the suburbs or something like that, you're not going to wake everyone up. Yeah, so that's um, that's an exhaust mode. And so what that does, and uh, Porsches have this too, so where you, uh, I think Corvettes as well, but basically it bypasses half of the resonator cans in the exhaust system huh. to where you're getting some straight pipe. So when I had a 911, I had um, that actually welded in to where I, I half bypassed the the exhaust cans it just sounds so throaty and good but but to to what people love about cars uh is the sound of it was three things one is the sound of the exhaust that's like probably what people most commonly think of their hearing when when they like the sound of a, of a car but the intake is just as important uh, the intake is like the bark it has like this really beautiful howl again mm. like those 800 those kind of like frequencies mid-range frequencies just rich rich in that stuff um the the so you've got the intake the exhaust but then the third factor is like the feel of that engine like the the subsonic information there's just a rumble of it all and i've, I've figured out how to i'm not going to give away my secrets here but yeah, I've, don't do I've, it <laughs> i've figured out how to put that in and it's it's almost to where now i can like all my microphones are on the car there's eight microphones in total but i'm able to place <laughs> myself i can almost place myself out of the car sonically like um and and just again it's using rx it's using a lot of just it's like how we would mic a drum kit i mean i'm i have a stereo mic in in the car with with me i'm uh, I'm assuming that this is going to be sold. That the the process or whatever is going to be sold to a, a show where they do like interview. I would love to get the like the Seinfeld comedians and cars thing, like that kind of like level show or Jay Leno's Garage or whatever, where they it's two people talking about their love for the automobile they're driving. And right now in those shows, they're either burying the sound of the car with music, or the sound of the car is just coming through lobs and like really poorly placed production audio mics. So my idea is to make, to show that, hey, it can, you can have everything. You can have this beautiful sonorous sound of the engine. You can have the, the open air of a convertible and you can, you can actually hear the bus go by in the other direction, you know, as it was and all that stuff. And, and then have really beautiful uh, dialogue that's not got wind in it and all this other junk. So that I, I've, I need to carve out time to finish that. It's the video cut's done. Um, I think I did the Raptor. The Raptor's done. There's some really freaky stuff. Like uh, 
RX is so amazing. I have a cut of me going like, I think zero to like a hundred in the truck and talking where it sounds like I recorded it in a vocal, in a, like a voiceover booth. Like there's absolutely Whoa. no audio playing behind it. And then it, then I cut to like the same cut where everything else is in and you can hear the difference between the two. Um, thank you. So yeah, I, I, thanks for bringing that up. Cause I, I need to, I need to be kicked in the butt to go finish that. <laughs> so, um, so what would be the difference between what you're doing? And if I were to get one of those like binaural mics, Okay. Yeah. So like I, I'm going out in left field now. No, that's so close to what I'm doing because I'm basically using a mid-side. There's a couple of different microphones. I'm not going to tell you what they are, but you're well, all good. Don't give away the house. There's two different. I will. I will say that they're they're both. There's two different styles of mid-side microphone. I'm I'm using, but depending on the vehicle, I'm using one of the two of those over my shoulder, like really picking again everything starts there so yeah we're just like a drum kit where you everything starts with that overhead sonic picture we're starting there um and there are some great uh youtube channels of guys that that wear a binaural set of like a, they wear like a they, they must look insane but they wear a U- uh, gopro on their head and they have a binaural like microphones on that they wear on their on their head it sounds amazing if you listen on the airpods and watch it but it doesn't really sound beyond the distractions thing. So it's like we've taken it to that that that's like it's a good accurate representation of what it sounds like to drive the car. But is that really selling the moment? Yeah. So I can throttle the other interesting thing is like there's no dynamics to a car. It's like it's note on note off. It's very much like a synthesizer. Like you put your foot down and that engine's loud. It's just loud. It's like it's loud and it's climbing and in, you know, it's climbing in pitch, but it really isn't climbing in dynamics. So that's something you have to go back and and introduce. You have to introduce dynamic range into this. You can't just leave the faders up. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's things I'm doing with modulation and whatever to stop talking. But it's uh, sorry, I'm nerding out on this whole thing. You're all good. Come on, but but that's. But yeah, it's it, it. This is where my passion lies. Is if it, it's it's bringing the musical approach, unlocking the harmonics and the subharmonics of things um, in everyday life or whatever to like, whether it's again dialogue in a podcast, whether it's uh, making automotive content feel much more engaging, feel more like you're there in a movie or whatever. Um, these are things that. They seem to be working out, so I'm going to pursue them until, until I don't feel like I have something to say anymore or I don't have a way to contribute. Yeah. So, okay, two questions. Where are you going to distribute this and what is it going to be called? Do you have a name yet? People are on the edge of their seat right now. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, I have reached out to some people that I'm a huge fan of what they do in LA. Like there's a director that I just, I'm taken with his work on short format, uh, like 20 minute, like YouTube videos that people have hired him to do telling the story of very important, uh, automobiles throughout, like, I guess very important vintage automobiles where they'll, they'll do like a beautiful cinema shoot of this car. And the, the owner talking about how the car came into 
his or her possession and and the way and and you're seeing these beautiful images of the way they drive it and everything and and sometimes the audio just isn't like you know it's just not like yeah so I, I I'm I'm talking with that guy I'm also talking with a huge uh, uh, he's he's a I guess I'm not gonna say who he is but he builds custom cars in L A is very very well known for having a brand of uh, custom four by fours that are built in the Valley. And uh, he's been in that for a long, long time. He also used to be an actor in LA, Um, but he's been very instrumental. I've sent him early cuts of things and he's called me and given me feedback. Uh, And I'm very excited to be working with him on that. So he has other people lined up when we get this done to, to show it initially, I will just give it to people who've solicited it, but then I will, I will put it up and post it and call it something. I don't know what I'm going to call it. Um, but it'll probably, yeah, I don't know what I'm going to call it. <laughs> I'll probably where, it down somewhere. Where will these three live? It's one six minute piece. Mm. Okay. And so I, I tell the story of my passion for cars and music and, and what I'm setting out to do, I think I said the same thing, the same scripted thing in both all the cars, and I've cut in between. So you hear like the that that my dialogue stays the same whether I'm in the BMW, the Raptor, the FJ40. I'm, you're hearing the sonic palette of these vehicles change, but I'm the same. Uh, so there, there, it's just going to be one thing. Um, I hope that that opens up my post business to just serve more diverse clients um so cool so my suite of audio products is the hd audio services so i have hd audio post uh, and i have hd audio worship which is like the the streaming thing um and the idea behind that is high definition audio like i, I feel like whether you're delivering something down an MP4 or not, we could debate on whether that's high definition audio. But I think that when when you have audio like you guys work in forty four one all the time, people send you stuff like that's probably yeah. normal. Um, but when it's good, it's good. When it's locked, when it sounds, when the uh, the image, you know, so to speak, or when the uh, the audio is clean and and presented well and polished. It it has that same effect of watching high definition content, and and so much of the streaming audio that is married to 4K or 1080P video is not of that quality. And and uh, that's kind of where I kicked off the name for again when I when I resolved to say okay I'm actually going to present this as a suite of products and not just conceptualize myself as being forever confused or forever uh, ADD about what I do. I, you know, now I conceptualize it as three different businesses. So, so darn cool. Sorry, I'm rattling. Dude, you're, you're good. And in all honesty, this episode uh, will more than likely have the title of something you said earlier, and I took a note, and that is finding your unique voice. Wow, and it's like you can tell when you're talking about something you're passionate about, when you're talking about something that you're kind of transitioning out of, and when you're talking about something where your heart genuinely is. Mm. You can tell your excitement level. You can tell uh, just 
a lot about you changes and just like in like the end of all this, it just sounds like, like in this, we'll call it like the, the third part of this, it just kind of feels like, uh, you kind of had this like renewed energy and like, you're insanely excited about this whole streaming thing. And, uh, just like providing like the ultimate solution, like as far as audio is concerned for people. Um, so I'm happy for you. This is great. Sam, do you have uh, do you have anything else you wanna you wanna mention, bring up, or ask? No, I would just say this has been amazing. And Dylan, if yes. you want one more time, where can people find you online? And uh, I'm good. This has been amazing. Well, you guys are so Kind, thank you. Um, you can find me at Instagram. It's at Dylan Seals, at D Y L A N S E A L S, um, and say hi to me. Um, I'd love to uh, to meet some more people. It's always it's fun to see what people are doing. Um, but thank you guys both so much for having me on again. I've treated this like the the long the long awaited time that I get to hang out with a couple of buddies, <laughs> and um, I love what you're both doing love the podcast i've been a huge fan for a long time and uh again just thank you it's a privilege you're so welcome dude thank you like it's uh yeah i i can't thank i mean you and then every single listener who like who uh, puts on this podcast like we have 70 some odd hours of this stuff and to like to, to fathom that people are listening to us ramble wow. on for 70 hours is just like so beyond me. Uh like I just kind of I, I I don't feel worthy that like we have like the metrics that we do for two and a half, three years. Uh, I don't feel worthy well uh, for it. Well deserved. So we'll appreciate it. And if we ever say anything that's not right, call our BS. <laughs> that's that's the biggest thing. <laughs> Yeah, and somebody well, tell me how to do the satellite thing. <laughs> so, there yeah, you go. Somebody smarter always tell me what I'm doing. There's yep. somebody out there. So, yeah. well, well, once again, Dylan, thank you so much, so so much for being uh, being our guest. Uh, hopefully, this kicks off a series of uh, having a few more people on every year. I don't think we've. I think Brad Blackwood was the first one we had on in season one, and I really hope he didn't think. Man, I hope I didn't burn it down as far as guests are concerned. We'll have to we'll have to bring him back for a reunion one day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've seen him making the rounds in other podcasts, so he's still doing it. Um, so yeah, uh, if uh, if you're still listening, we're probably around uh, an hour and forty minutes for this podcast. Thank you so much for for uh, for tuning in. I hope you kind of feel the energy from this podcast. It's been really fun and inspiring. Um, and uh, yeah, if you like the music that is more than likely playing in the background, it is. Uh, made lovingly by our very own Sam Moses at BizaBeats.com. Uh, feel free to go over and buy one of his beats. If uh, yeah, and if uh, if you like what we said, if you can give us a comment, some stars, some likes, uh, but most importantly, if you could just uh, uh, essentially just share this with a friend, that would be the the best thing. It's a, like the marketing of this thing has just literally been by Instagram stories. And me copying Sam's Instagram stories. <laughs> and uh, that's really about it. That and word of mouth. So we could not be more grateful. So uh, with that said, uh, morning, afternoon, evening, whatever y'all are having, have a darn good one. Dylan, as always, thank you so much. So appreciative of you coming on. And uh, we'll catch you on the next episode. See y'all later. <laughs>